Hello everyone, my name is Neha and you're listening to Dropping Your Armor where together with you, I have the unique privilege of listening to stories from thinkers, doers and dreamers all in the hope of really understanding human beings on a deeper level and from a different perspective and trying to figure out ways to unlock our potential to shape the world around us. And in today's episode, you'll hear the story of Tim Urshinga. Tim is the co-founder of Life Sciences, which is a company that's questioning how things are done in organizations today and challenging them to create environments that help unleash people's potential. Tim is deeply passionate about bringing Teal principles to the world of work and together with a few other visionaries, he started the Teal Network to make this alternate vision of organizations more accessible to more people. And if you don't have any idea what I'm talking about with Teal or want to know more about Teal or the Teal Network, you can see the description down below for some links. So I really wanted Tim on this show because... Well, I I always felt that Tim and I are quite aligned in how we see the world and how we see organizations evolving in the future. But what I was particularly interested in was coming from this perspective of leading in big corporations that have been more traditionally managed. Tim has created his journey in a way that now he serves to create organizations that are truly empowering, purpose-driven, and completely different from the way we imagine organizations to be currently. So I was really interested on how that journey sort of manifested for Tim. And when we started preparing for this conversation, we talked about the topic of control quite a bit. And not just because in the last year that when the pandemic started, I think we've all felt a loss of control to some extent when some of our most basic needs have not been met and we've found ways and we are really striving to to restore that lost sense of safety within us. But also because the way control manifests in leadership today is also something that probably needs to evolve since the world around us is just moving at such a fast rate that we can no longer control or hold on to the things that we know. So it was a really, really insightful conversation with Tim where we started first with his own story of how how this need for control manifested in his life and how it changed through the the course of his life. And we also then spoke a little bit about how the inner world of us humans and also the outer world with which we interact, for example, the educational or the economic systems in which we grow up, how they reinforce this need for control and how we need to actively break free from this and create more leaders and more organizations that are instilling the sense of autonomy and trust uh, as opposed to this rigid controlling and command and control style of leadership. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Um, Just a heads up, Tim was really enjoying the weather in his garden that morning when we recorded this. So if you hear some birds chirping in the background, that's only because they are in complete agreement with everything that we're talking about. (laughs) 
So hi, Tim. I'm so happy we could finally get you on the show. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Thanks, Nia. Pleasure. Thanks a lot for the invite. And Tim, I mean, I have a lot of questions for you and I have been planning, you know, this conversation in my head for a very long time. So I have a lot of things that I want to talk to you about. But before we begin, for the people who are listening, do you want to quickly introduce yourself and tell them about what you do? What's your mission and calling in life? Sure. Uh, so first difference is I have not yeah. planned out that conversation in my head yet. So <laughs> that's probably the first thing. Um, <laughs> otherwise, what I can tell the listeners about me is so I'm a dad of two little ones um, living happily here in the Black Forest in the middle of nowhere. That's good fun. Um, and I think it also comes uh, comes back to some of the topics that we'll talk about, right, which is um, how, how do you find your inner grounding to a certain extent and how, how does that relate to your work life maybe as well. Um, so from a working from a professional perspective, I'm, uh, I have founded a company called Life Science together with a few friends some five years ago. Uh, we set it up according to Teal principles. So for all of the ones who have read or have heard about Frederick Laloux and reinventing organizations, that's what we based our ideas on. So in short, it's a bit more purpose-driven. Uh, we take a look into wholeness and, and how we can provide a more human workplace. And obviously it's self-managed, which also goes up to something like self-defined salaries for everyone in the company. Um, and besides that, I'm really passionate about leadership, organizational development, making work somehow fun, reasonably fun at least, uh, and not frustration-led, uh, kind of like if, if, if you look at Gallup studies and whatever. So that's the that's the big passion. And with that, how, how can we change the world that we're living in by changing world workplaces, really? So that's the passion, I would say. Yeah. And I would really vouch um, for Tim's ability to have fun. That's actually <laughs> mostly the reason I wanted him on the show, because I knew we were going to have some fun here. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you for that intro, Tim. And um, I, I also want to start with a bit of a tune-in question before we get into the meatier topics uh, that we wanted to talk about. So just something light and fun for us to think about. And it's this. If you had a remote control with only one button that controlled something in your life, what would that be? <laughs> in the kind of the dead answer is probably something to control the kids. <laughs> Um, but then again, I was, I was, I was thinking about that, that, that question before a little bit is like, uh, probably it's, um, to turn on my personal motivation to exercise more in that virtual home office pandemic type of world, because that's actually something that I struggle with a little bit is like the, the kids are going to bed finally some point in time. I've worked for too many hours probably. So how do I find my motivation to exercise? Because I should do that probably a bit more. You know what, that's actually a really great answer because it's kind of the opposite of my answer because when I was thinking about this, I was like, you know what, I would really like a button that just gives me food whenever I want it <laughs> and without, having to, without me having to move from my couch or make a decision on what I need to cook now. And <laughs> yeah, okay. So a food really button like also it. sounds it's, good, it's yeah. It's much healthier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah maybe we can combine our uh, remote controls and you know get the best of both worlds what do you think i think the worst part would be, would be if i hadn't my remote control for the exercising and i just had the food one because that would probably be counterproductive for anything uh, that is like no exercise and more food that's probably not a combination for me but yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs>
I, I wanted to ask you if you could tell us a little bit about your story, about how, where you grew up, a little bit about your childhood, and what does control have to do with all of it? Yeah, good question. I think I haven't talked about this one specifically. So great that you're asking a, a bit of a different kind of question, actually. Um, so how did I grow up? I, I actually grew up where I'm living now. So I'm little village in the in the black forest, you know, peaceful, quiet. So there's there's nothing wrong in that place. The, the world is just okay here, I think. So that's the that's the kind of childhood that, that I had um, for at least I don't know the first I guess ten years of my life, eleven years of my life or, or something. And um, I think I, I I always had parents who were like well do whatever you like to do as long as you know that there's consequences coming with it and if you mess it up well then it's your accountability so i, I learned that quite early on right that whole yeah i guess self-reliance but in a, in a peaceful protected kind of environment and i think um the time when that maybe changed or when the first kind of kind of moment was where, where that was maybe looking a bit different was when i was yeah i I don't know, what was I, 12 years old, I think, when my parents got divorced. And and obviously, you know, you, you live in that peaceful, protected world, and then all of a sudden your parents divorced. That's that's at least nothing that was working in my head at that point in time, honestly. Um, and obviously I didn't have control about any of these things that were happening. So my my, my dad moving out, you know, these these kind of topics. And um, I think what was, what was good and at the same time challenging was my parents still had that, that thing of like, well, it should be your decision. So do you want to stay like 50-50, 50% of the time with your dad and, and with your mom? Do you want to do like weekend visits like most people do? What do you want actually? So that is quite nice. But then again, if you're 12 years old and it's your parents and you don't want to hurt any of those, obviously, right? Um, that's actually quite a tough decision. Yeah. And then the, the other part that was like this whole with the authorities and about uh, kind of money that my mom might be getting from my dad or not and how, how that relates back to my decision. You know, these 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 kind of things. So I think that was the first moment I was like, well, that's a bit of a different relationship now to being accountable for everything, right? Uh, so that's, that's, that's I think, one, one of these moments mm -hmm. where, where kind of your know, perspective changed, I think, in many ways. And yet at the same time, it was... It was um, in hindsight, I must say probably it was it was actually nice to be in control and to, to do the things that I wanted to do, and I did it differently to my to my sister, for example, as well. Um, so that was that was actually uh, actually a nice experience in that sense. Um, and yet, uh, probably the, the the second moment was like I was, I was I was working for big corporations, I was working for consultancy companies, and you know. Uh, most of these companies are not treating adults as adults in these organizations and it's 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 almost like a parent child mm -hmm. relationship we're actually not empowered and we're not like on an on an on an eye level right um and obviously that didn't work at all for me with with all that upbringing with all that experience and that that exposure to well, self accountability in early age already it's like I'm not going to report into anybody who's micromanaging me i mean that's that's just not what I understand in like being an adult and Coming back to the work fun stuff, that's also not fun for me, right? I, I, I want a certain accountability. So that said, I think this whole leadership picture is really, really driven by that whole childhood upbringing story. And and obviously, um, for my first consultancy company that, that I work for here in, in Switzerland, it was a fairly small one. It was growing quickly when I was there. Um, I got a lot of accountability, so I got a lot of exposure. I got a lot of leadership experience there. And it was just something where I thought, well, that feels good that feels right and at the same time we have a governance system like structures and processes and whatever that are completely counterproductive for all of these things that i like 
And that was then the path into when we founded Life, Life Sciences, well, how do we run the company? How do we do that differently? And it was really just by chance that we stumbled over Frederick Lalou's work. Um, but it was but it was definitely something where we were mm -hmm. like, okay, we don't want to introduce the same kind of bureaucracy and, and stupid stuff that we've experienced before, all of us actually. Yeah. And I can I can so resonate with that because, you know, it, it, for me, it also brings up a lot of things. I, I think your early experiences really have an impact on you and how you sort of see the world around you. Of course, we know that from research <laughs> and psychology and all of that, but it's 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 something different when you live through it. And what that brings up in me is. Um, so I grew up in India, which is, you know, and it's 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 a different environment, of course, from Germany, but it's also it's my parents didn't get divorced and I didn't have that feeling of, you know, loss of control in that sense. But I had a lot of restrictions growing up in India as a girl, mm. right? You, it's, you, you, your parents care for your safety. You have a curfew while your brother doesn't. You have, you know, you have to tell them where you go, who you talk to. You're, you're never in control of your own time or your own life. And I can really remember the first time that I moved out and I moved to Germany and I had this walk around Bamberg, which is the city that I was living in at that time, at 12 o'clock in the night, at midnight. And there was no reason for me to walk around Bamberg at midnight, but it just felt so freeing <laughs> that, you know, I can do that. I'm doing it because I can. And those moments are so, they're so pivotal. And it also sounds like when I hear your story, right, that that moment where you were in an organization where you were treated like an adult and something different. You have all the control. You you decide. You have the accountability. It's it's refreshing in a way, but it's also it's it's sad that it's refreshing because it should be a basic basic right, don't you think? Yeah, true, true, and true indeed. And and I think this is this is the part where I think um, many of the systems that we are living in are really really structured in a, in a really strange way, right? Um, because privately, we are taking all of these big decisions. You get married, you buy a house, you get kids, you know, you, you buy an ex a car or something. So that's that's all big decisions with quite a big impact, actually. And then you're, you're coming in, in into a company and you can't decide for 50 euros because you need an approval from your yeah. boss or somebody a level or two up uh, for some expenses or whatever, right? So this is, this is uh, I mean, first of all, that's, that's I think, uh, completely stupid to design these kind of systems in, in that way. And the reason for, for saying that is, is twofold. One, um, again, I think it's sad for individuals that they don't have at least that little bit of, of accountability and that they have that bit of, of kind of room to shape certain things. And then obviously from a, from a company, from an organizational perspective, you're just wasting resource, time, money. You're probably losing a lot of innovation, of, of great ideas because of people who just say, well, you know what? And it's really too cumbersome. I will not go through that process. I will not bring in my ideas because I know it will have mm -hmm. like five leadership teams that need need to prove it. So I will just not do that. So there, it's 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 I think a lose 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 kind of situation actually. And, it, and it's really fascinating. I think um, that it is indeed refreshing to look at these other examples because there are other examples out there and pretty successful actually. And still even though it is lose, lose, lose for I don't know how many decades now. And, and we know that from science, from studies, from everything, we're still not changing it. So that's the that's the interesting thing, I think. Yeah, it's, it's still so sticky. And I think it's part of it is I, I was reading about it yesterday that part of it has to do with the fact that th there are people who have that 
very deep sense of uh, fear of losing control. And, you know, th there are different schools of thought. There's also Karen Hornay's work around moving against, moving towards people, all of that. There's also people who are interested, the leadership circle profile, which talks about reactive tendencies and controlling one is a very strong one. And that's something you see uh, a lot in leaders who've made it to the top. That's because inherently, I feel like controlling, when you're controlling, you have that innate drive and that perfectionism. And in the short term, it gets you to the top, right? You put yourself out there, you're in a leadership position, and then you're sort of, you're sort of still creating that culture from the top. And I just feel like it's a bit of a vicious cycle, right? You have these systems that are designed to create uh, more controlling personalities because you tie people's self-worth to outcomes that they create from very early on. And at the same time, you know that the system still pervades because those are the people who come to the top and then probably stay there if they're not uh, completely, you know, if they cannot imagine a different reality. Mm. And I think it's it's also important to recognize where that comes from, right? Because um, if, if you look at industrial revolution, if you look at, I don't know what, 60s, 70s, where mainly was around the conveyor belt efficiency and, 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 and all these kind of things. And what, what happened was that this picture about the perfect leader is that perfect leader who knows everything, who has the answer and the solution to all of the problems that we're having. And to a certain extent that worked and, and it yeah. brought us and it brought many of the big companies to where they are today. The thing is, if you look at the world around us, the complexity is increasing. Right? And that means you cannot possibly have the answer to everything. You cannot possibly have the solution for, for everything. So that, that leadership picture still sticks. We, we acknowledge that the world is getting more complex. We acknowledge that actually you cannot know everything, right? So there's, I mean, there's always the discussion, who's the last person who kind of knew everything that was kind of available regarding knowledge on earth? Was it Einstein? Was it way, way earlier? You know, these, these, these kind of conversations. But I think one thing that everyone is agreeing mm -hmm. is you cannot know everything full stop. And the question yeah. is, how do we change the leadership picture then? Because if you if you cannot have the answer for everything, then obviously it's also the wrong leadership picture. Kind of this archetype needs to needs to change as well. So and and that that is something that is incredibly hard because it's kind of a, a self fulfilling prophecy. What brought the leaders to where they are, yes. like uh, kind of whatever 30, 40, 50 years ago, maybe, um, is not necessarily a good leader today. But then again, we have we have all learned from from these incredibly great leaders, and we've all kind of inherited how they got there. And obviously, we've also all have been promoted based on these same principles. So, so we're kind of getting trained in that system. So once we're moving up that ladder, there's a certain likelihood that we actually obviously adapted to the system. Um, and, and that said, uh, there's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of work that needs to be done for unlearning. And the unfortunate thing about unlearning is it takes a lot of time. It is incredibly difficult and is not straightforward. Yeah, and, and someone who fears losing control, I mean, if you're brought up in that system, you, you have that inherent fear, right? The thought of unlearning, just stripping away everything that you know, to go from a knower where you're the expert and you have control over what you know and what you say to a learner where you can say, I don't know, and you're open to exploring is is hard, right? And it's also hard because, as you said, it's I think it's not just at the, in the organizations, it's the way we're uh, taught in schools. Definitely. You are rewarded for every A you get. If you get 100%, it's it's great. You get into a good university, all of that, no questions asked. There's no question about the how or how you're learning. It's all about the end result. 
and I'm I'm in embarking in a in a little hobby project at the moment uh, where we uh, kind of try to rethink how school especially early school days work uh, kind of giving it a teal touch but mm -hmm. but anyway um besides that I, i i had a really good conversation i think two weeks ago or something with uh, someone and we were discussing that fear of missing out that that fomo right and um she 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 actually gave me a new term which i haven't heard before just just two weeks ago and it's called jomo the joy of missing out and in the first place it, it, it kind of sounds 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 a bit <laughs> stupid right but if you really start to reflect and i started no, to it reflect <laughs> you know it's it's like it is so good to not be involved in everything that's going on in our company for example it is really good that i'm not involved in all the yeah. shit going on in the kindergarten or wherever right um and yes there is so many things in the world that go completely wrong but if i would be involved in all of that stuff i would probably go crazy anyway so There is this joy of missing out on certain things. And I, I see that kind of every day in our little teal self-org setup where I'm like, there's actually great stuff happening and I'm not involved. And that is just really, really good. And that's yes. the joy of missing out. So, you know, there's, there is this different kind of, I don't know, pattern or, or terminology maybe that we maybe need as well to change some of these things. Yeah, I, and I was laughing because I think we had this conversation two weeks ago where I remember telling you, maybe you forgot, Tim. But it was it was you that really smart person. Oh, I don't Here know. I have... Here we go. I was that really smart person who brought this term to your life. Mm. Come on, Tim. Excuse me, Neha. <laughs> I should have thought about that because because, because obviously the, the brilliance and wisdom that there was actually obvious that was coming from you, right? Yeah, ab absolutely. So, yeah, uh, but it's, it brings us back to a full circle. So that's great. I'm, I'm happy that I heard the joy of missing out from you. Well, I can't take full credit for it either. I also heard it from some very smart people. So, <laughs> but no, I, I am with you. I really think we need those new terminologies. We need that. We, we need to embrace that joy of missing out. It's it's the FOMO is getting old and it's actually making us really tired. What's really interesting is um, FOMO reminds me, and when I was looking into you know research around um, fear of losing control and also thinking a little bit about it, I, one of my friends, she sent me a message about how she is suffering from revenge bedtime procrastination. Have you, have you heard of this? Nope. <laughs> Actually not. Nope? No. Okay. It's super interesting. But apparently it, it basically means that um, it has to do with when you are working f all day and you have very little control in your workday, say you're working in a very, I don't know, traditional setup where you have to get approval for every single thing you do. And it's like from morning till evening, you're completely exhausted. You have no, you haven't had the joy, right? Uh, in, in your day, you spend your nights instead of sleeping, even though you're really tired, doom scrolling or staying up on social media and actively seeking revenge on your bedtime so that you could gain some control back into your life. And I found that really interesting. And it made me wonder if when we do, you know, when we move towards as an organization towards Steel, or even when we evolve our own leadership um, and give up some of that control in leading others, does that control show up in other parts of your life or is it really just gone? And I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Not an easy one, I think. So I think one of one of the key 
things that I've I've been working on and that that um, that I've been trying to reflect on more is how do you just really live in the moment, right? Uh, and that is that is I think one one of the key things. So if I'm working, if I'm doing the podcast here with you, well then I'm here. If I'm playing with the kids, well then I shouldn't think about the meeting tomorrow or the, or the workshop in two days or something, right? So there's there's a lot of trust in yourself mm -hmm. as well, obviously, that you got things under control, or the trust into, for example, the team that well, if some of the balls are dropping from time to time because they simply forgot, that's that's obviously happening, but we will make up for it somehow, right? So there's there's that that trust, that safe space to a certain extent also for these topics. But I think really um, a bit of inner work around. How do you really let go? How do you really live in the moment is is a key thing. And and some people will use meditation for it or some some kind of other practices, right? That that's pretty individual, I think. I'm, for example, not really meditating a lot. And, and yet that whole thing, how do you stay in the moment and how do you well then kind of resist to control in other spaces uh, as well um, is is I think really, really important. Just one quick thing, I think, on that whole leadership, letting go of control and, and kind of story. I think there's also really interesting work from Peter Koenig around um, the source. So there's there's always a source, kind of the, the, the source for a specific topic. I mean, the source for founding the company is, is probably one of us three founders. And then there is a source for certain things that are happening in the company. And I think this is also interesting to, to acknowledge is if you let go of that whole control thing, you just provide room for others to being the source and changing something and bringing innovation in and, and, and bringing in some some great ideas that if you if you were always in control it's always just you who can be the source and that's obviously limiting mm, okay interesting can you say more about the source theory i actually haven't uh, i haven't heard about it yeah so that um i'm definitely not the expert so i hope peter's not listening um because he could explain it way better um but you can you can uh, <laughs> look it up and i can i can send you some some links maybe as well but um so the the the, the basic thing is that and it's fairly easy to explain with starting a company right so there there's for us for example there's uh, three co-founders and, and and what peter would say is look it is not three sources it's always one source somebody started a conversation somebody was kind of the mm -hmm. the a spark who ignited the, the 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 whole journey, and if you if you talk to founders and probably also if you talk to the three of us, I think we would all say intuitively without having had that, that conversation. But I think intuitively we would all say the same thing. It is that one person, and it's by the way not me, um, who who was kind of that that source for the company. And then there is now if you if you look at how the company developed, um, I mean there's 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 kind of a different business unit that, that we are trying out things where it's more into training and these kind of things. And it's pretty clear that there's one source who brought it up, one kind of leader who's who's shaping that 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 whole space there. Um, and that is that is pretty interesting to see that that, that Peter says, look, there's also only one source there's never two or three or whatever four sources and that 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 is something that is um that is interesting in many of these teal setups and, and also for us we had many of these conversations is are we co-leading this effort maybe we are right maybe we are sharing mm -hmm. the leadership but there's one source and that makes a difference in in in, in how you look at leadership as well so I, I find peter's work really interesting need need to dive a bit deeper and we could probably have another hour of a discussion about source work and, and all these kind of things but um yeah I think it's just an interesting link to leadership yeah, and, and control. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's 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 interesting. And it, 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 while you were talking, for me, uh, the metaphor that came up was is of a river, right? You have one source mm. uh, for the river, but when it flows down, it sort of it cuts its own path, right? Uh -huh. It's not the source still controlling yeah. the end of the river, but it's actually it just gives it life, and then it sort of cuts down. But that's that's actually a really interesting way of looking at leadership. Yeah, thank you, thank you. That's for a really good that, metaphor as well. I note that down, and probably I'll tell you in three weeks about it and saying that smart person. That somehow I don't remember who, but <laughs> anyway. <laughs> good, you get ten points, Tim. We're having you back. Awesome. I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we talked a lot about control and the need to shift our view of leadership and also organizations from a very command and control approach to self-organized steel practices and principles. But tell me, how did you actually, first of all, make that shift for yourself? And then also, how did you bring that shift? Well, I mean, Life Sciences was founded on those principles, but how do you see that shift happening for organizations? Mm. So first of all, it, it, it all starts, I think, with, um, at least for me, it started uh, 2014, 2015, when I was fairly frustrated with my job back in the days. Um, and with consultancy in general, by, by the way. Right? So I thought consultancy is probably the shittiest job that you can have on earth. And um, so I was, I, was, I was quitting my job in 2015 and thinking, well, what's, what's the stuff that I want to do? And I was like, definitely not consultancy, coaching and that kind of stuff. I, I will just open a restaurant and cook and you know things that are fun in life and i was going back and reflecting a bit on okay so what kept me doing the job for like 10 years that that i actually have been doing what was what was the fun part in it what's what's the stuff that i really enjoyed about it because obviously there must have been some things that i enjoyed because otherwise i wouldn't have done it for 10 years most likely so and mm -hmm. reflecting on, on exactly these things uh then brought me to well actually you know there's 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 a certain way of collaborating with people there's a certain joy of you, you create something together there is a certain joy of also celebrating successes together and, and you know just being together in that in that journey to a certain extent so really it is about that um well i guess personal awareness whatever you call it inner journey kind of story where, where i just reflected about what's really important for me what what does really matter in life and also specifically in that case in professional life what's the stuff that i like um and and i think this is this is always also for many of the leaders that we work with in bigger organizations that's that's usually the starting point where, where they're figuring out well first of all i don't always want to have the answer sometimes because they know that mm -hmm. they don't have anyway but sometimes also just i mean there, there's this famous saying it's lonely at the top right and that is that is coming from exactly that i always have the yeah. answer and and, and and these kind of patterns so i think many of the of the transformations i guess start with an individual reflecting for themselves about what they really want in life and then obviously in the second step the, the, there's these other layers that come in well how can i bring that to my team how can i bring that to my organization and 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 then you just try to integrate these uh, three layers and um, what what I've also seen in many of these big transformation programs in multinational companies is if I have been on that personal journey and, and the, the journey of the organization is not going in the same direction, people will leave. Right? I will leave the company mm -hmm. if, if that's not fitting anymore. And that, that that's perfectly fine. So there's, there's this time when, I mean, there's this, uh, this thing about... Uh, 
change it, love it, leave it. So either I love what's happening because it's in line with my values and what I want from life. Easy. Okay, fine. That's that's actually great. Uh, change it. I, I try to bring in myself into that transformation. That's that's where most transformations start. Some leadership person uh, brings in his or her like consciousness and, and just will for change, or you leave it. And that's that's then obviously this. Well, most of the time, also the end for many transformation journeys is that that leadership team or that that one person who's actually just getting frustrated with the rest of the organization. And, and how how has it been for um, uh, for life sciences in that regard? How have have you faced any challenges? Has the controls crept up? Because it's also it's you have great examples of uh, organizations that are on that journey, right? But there are far and few in between. So does it feel lonely sometimes? And do, does it do you have the temptation to give in to the command and control at times, especially <laughs> when, you know, COVID hit and something drastic happens and you all you hear from all around is in crises, you want to have complete control and you go into the command and control leadership. Did, did that ever happen to you? Funny enough, it didn't happen for the COVID situation. I, I must say, so there was there was a fairly fairly smooth uh, transition actually for us, and I think it was not that anybody took back control. But but I think there is that that balance that you need to strike of autonomy and alignment, and and, and alignment might need a certain level of of direction or of of controlling type of leadership as well. And I think the moment for me when I had the feeling like screw that whole self-organization setup actually is i think in 2019 it was i don't know what, what was it may april may something when looking at the at the cash flow at the pipeline i mean it was it was not not that that like where it was like really emergency but it didn't look great right so we so we had this situation where april mm -hmm. may 2019 just didn't look good from a business perspective and what was interesting for me was we spent, I don't know, what, four or five weeks, I guess, at least uh, discussing that situation internally. And we, we had that one meeting in, in Basel that I still remember. So back in the day, still still face to face, right? So we were sitting around this table and we were discussing, looking at the numbers, at, at cash flow, at pipeline, at utilization rates, you know, the typical things that you would look at in a consultancy business. And we looked at all, we all looked at the same numbers and we were sitting there and, and the question was, what do you think is the likelihood that we need to lay off at least one person uh, to make it work again, right? Because if cash flow is not there, mm -hmm. well, then you need to save salary somehow. And the interesting thing was, so I looked at the numbers, it was like almost zero. So if you ask me to put a percentage bigger than zero, it's probably 1%, full stop. N not a huge risk, right? It, it doesn't look great, but then again, it's fairly okay. And the interesting thing was the range was up to 50%. So there was a person sitting at the table saying, it's 50-50 that I will lose my job. Look at the very same numbers that I looked at. So we obviously gave that room, right? Because that, that's a big conversation to have. So it, I don't know, we spent four or five weeks discussing that. I, I must admit, I'm, I'm a bit impatient for, for some things. So I was looking at the numbers like, it's not great, but it's not that bad either. So we will not lay off people, full stop. Yeah. Leave me alone with that conversation. So that, that was the point in time I thought, you know what, if I was just the manager of that team, I would have said, you know what, you guys all shut up. Or probably in the first place, I wouldn't even have shown them the numbers, right? So I just really yeah. wanted to move on and didn't have that conversation. So that, that was the point in time I was like, oh, that was self-org setup, transparency, discussing everything with everyone, really cumbersome. But it was just my personal impatience and it was really good to have that conversation. And maybe that was the reason also for, for example, when, when COVID hit, when it was fairly smooth because we had 
build a certain capability, a certain exposure to these conversations. And probably people had had a different point of view during COVID times now as well. Um, but yeah, that was that mm -hmm. was really a cumbersome like four or five weeks period for me. <laughs> So, Tim, I know I can talk to you for hours and we probably will uh, <laughs> do something and talk more about the joy of missing out and other cool concepts. Um, but just to wrap up this discussion also, like what, what is the one big challenge that you're working on right now, personal or professional? So I think one big challenge still is that whole patient story for me personally, right? because there are situations where I'm like, I feel like I have had that conversation for 10 times and that, that that's just my impatience kicking in and probably also my my emotions kicking in for certain things. So that's definitely something I'm I'm personally still working on, right? How to get a bit more patient or maybe also just um enough compassion to see there's there's other points of view, there's other perspectives and, and probably other needs as well from people why why we have certain conversations in my personal biased view for like 10 times and so that's that's definitely something for me personally and if the team listens to that some will laugh and say well that's that's actually the conversation we had uh, so that's 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 one thing for me personally um from a company perspective or, or just generally i think um that thing that that you also said from otty folk from the teal around the world um conference uh, speech there's how do you really make a difference in the sense of um you look at the broad environment that we're living in from a society, education, how we run businesses, but like everything, right? This humanity and, and, and how can we make a difference there? And I think um, that there's still that question, like, will it change just because we're working on a few little transformations with a few people here having whatever, 8 billion people on earth? Is that really making a difference? So how do you, how do you really have an impact and change that system or the systems probably that, that we are living mm -hmm. in right now. So that's the that's the big question that I'm pondering about. Also with Oti, by the way, and, and some some of the other folks is how do we create mm -hmm. more impact? How how do we how do we make that change happen? So if anybody listening has the magic bullet, I would be interested in having that conversation, obviously. Awesome. Okay, I promise you, Tim, very last question. <laughs> Actually, it's a fill in the blank, so it's very simple. Uh, just to tune out, tell us, uh, by completing the sentence, when I drop my armor, dot, dot, dot. I will uh, talk more about my uh, personal emotions and feelings. Beautiful. Great. Thank you so much, Tim. It was really lovely talking to you. And yeah, I wish you a great afternoon and I hope we can have more of these conversations together. Sure. Thanks a lot, Neha. Pleasure as always. Um, really enjoyed the conversation and looking forward to the next one. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you want to get in touch with Tim, Please also see the description below for his LinkedIn. Um, and if you have any feedback for us, as always, your comments and your feedback is really helpful. So you can always write to us uh, through our email, which you'll also find in the description. Thank you very much. 